Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The Carswell family doesn't know that we cousins, the ten children of four brothers, have for years now played a secret bingo game when we're all back together on holidays. Now, every space on the bingo card is an event that will happen during the couple of days that we're all together. Because these events have replayed themselves every time we've been together, all of our, in the entirety of our existences. For example, there is one space for the joke that an uncle says after a gut-busting meal, are there any snacks around? Mom sure does starve us around here. There's one for when my dad applauds when I'm done praying for the meal. And there's the one for the argument, uh, the mock debate over whether Kyle, who is unbelievably the other priest (laughs) in our family, uh, or me, does a better job with said prayer. There's a recently removed space for when grandma would make a wistful comment about not having any great-grandchildren, and at her age... My cousin Keith, having finally shown her and us the mercy of procreation. The bingo game makes old jokes funny a little bit. And, you know, as we look around the room and make sure that we've all marked the space for when someone declares that he has never lost at Rook in his entire lifetime, you know, it also makes some bad habits a little more bearable? Which one of the four sons will bother helping grandma clean up? It's always the same one. (laughs) The game hinges on the predictability of our behavior, right? And to be fair, the predictability of our secretive, slightly smug cousin ritual, too. It's how the Carswell system works. The patterns of jokes and games, behaviors that stay the same from year to year. You've got one at your own house, right? All happy families are alike. All unhappy families are alike. It's why it can be so hard to return home to whichever one you've got. No one's fault. It's just that everyone keeps playing into patterns they know. The system ticks on, even when it becomes untrue for the participants. You could have a bingo card for every workplace, every meeting you attend. You know before long who will argue, who will be conciliatory, who will go off on a tangent, who will sit silently. Bingo. We just finished reading Exodus in our online Bible study. I chose it a long time ago in a lifetime far, far away, five months ago, in April 2020. It seemed ripe for a pandemic study. It's the sacred text that speaks about a community uprooted, their patterns of life destroyed. What do God's people look like when their structures of life are taken from them? 
Well, the answer isn't very flattering. It's one of the reasons I love the Bible, actually. These just aren't stories that you'd think people would tell about their origins. For contrast, think of the mythos surrounding the founding of America, right? The cherry trees, the city on a hill, the bombs bursting, the constitutional convention, everyone striding around like great white demigods with divine purposes, the way I always heard it told in my very complete patriotic education. In Exodus, no one comes out spotless. The stutteringly uncertain Moses, Aaron, the compromising, shifting coward, Miriam, the leprous accomplice, and a whole host of people who let out one loud, unbroken wail from the first moment of their freedom to the end of the book. Sort of like logging onto Facebook at any time right now, one collective howl of complaints. Today's example in our lessons is just one of a dozen or so like it. I find when I've studied these scriptures with folks that it's so easy to write off the Israelites. There's a frustratingly cyclical nature to their stories. God's chosen people are rescued. They have this brief moment of goodness and gratitude. And then it goes off the rails. They start moaning about something. God gets angry, things go badly for them, or they're punished, as the author has it. And then there's reconciliation. We watch them, we read this for five months at a time, and grow frustrated. Could they just stop doing this thing? This isn't actually a sermon about the validity of complaint. Needing water while wandering in a wilderness is about as valid of a complaint as you can come up with in life. This sermon is about how difficult it is to create life-giving patterns when you've only known the slavery of predictability. Because the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, Pharaoh was God, and what Pharaoh wants is for you to maximize your output with ever fewer resources. You're not a voice or a person to Pharaoh. You are a number with a quantifiable and exchangeable value. The way to get ahead with Pharaoh is by letting your greed outweigh other considerations. You could rise in the ranks, become an overseer, Drive profitability from the lazy people who didn't work as hard as you had on behalf of Pharaoh. That's how Pharaoh works. The promise of a little power to make you forget that you're still a slave. While there wasn't freedom, there was security and predictability. The pattern was set for generations. The story of Exodus is a story about how hard it is for anyone to be set free from Pharaoh. How does one stop serving the gods of greed and accumulation and begin to trust the God who feeds everyone only enough for each day? How do you unlearn the habits of domination and subjugation to learn the sort of independence that entails mutual community-wide thriving? How 
can we begin to trust the kindness and mercy of God? And maybe just as importantly, become people of kindness and mercy. T.S. Eliot wrote, in order to arrive at what you do not know, you must go by a way which is the way of ignorance. In order to possess that which you do not possess, you must go by the way of dispossession. In order to arrive at what you are not, you must go through the way in which you are not. It's from his four quartets, which he wrote about returning home, actually. Not after a 40-year journey in the wilderness, nor yearly on holidays with a bingo card in hand, but the ideas are the same. If we're to live the kind of home, live the kind of being God calls us to, the way of dispossession is the only way there. And maybe that's where you are, noticing yourself a little more speechless, a little less inclined to keep step with the prescribed way, gripping a little less tightly to the structures that give you all the world and nothing of your soul. If that's you, keep on. It's a long road, but it's the only way home. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.